Jim. I don't even know which buttons to push anymore. It seems like it's been so long for us to... I know, right? We took a little break there, and uh, that's okay, because everybody needs a break. Everybody needs a break, but I'm glad to be back, and tell me, who are we talking to now? Because I'm so excited to get back into it. Well, we're going to be talking to Dana... Winters, Dr. Winters, and um, you remember we talked to June Lee. Lee. Yeah, June Lee. Yeah. Uh huh. A while back, and uh, he is with the Fred Rogers Institute. Right. Um, and they study what's called simple interactions, and uh, I just am really impressed with their work. Um, they they really study how to take uh, what's already working. Um, about the way that we interact with young people and how to turn that into even better practice. And so I'm really inspired by that. Um, Dr. Lee recommended we talk to his colleague, Dr. Winters, because she um, she has more of a K-12 expertise, according to him. So Perfect. And it's Dana Winters, is that right? Right. Dana Winters. Okay, let's give her a call. Hello, this is Dana. Hi, Dana. This is Jim Martin. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm here with my colleague, Tracy Vandy Venter. Hi, Dana. Hi, Tracy. So good to talk to you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us. No, my goodness. Thank you so much for reaching out. I was so disappointed when I couldn't be on the call with Jim Lai. Yeah. yeah. We're glad that we finally got a chance to follow up with you, so... Um, we thought maybe we could start off our conversation today um, with just maybe you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this work. Sure. Uh, so I started at the Fred Rogers Center now, um, my goodness, probably five or six years ago. Um, but my work previous to that had been with um, community organizations and educational entities and partnerships. Um, but it always really focused on this idea of relationships across many different levels. Uh, so when I had the opportunity to join Jim Lay at the Fred Rogers Center at the time, uh, I was very excited to do so. Um, so my background is in education and education policy, and I've kind of worked across the entire education system from um, preschool programs and birth to, you know, um, to grade 12 comprehensive literacy projects. Uh, all the way through to higher ed. Um, so now my role at the center is as the um, faculty member at the Fred Rogers Center, also the director of academic programs. So acting as a liaison between the center and the college. Uh, and then I also direct all of the simple interactions work and the programs that uh, we to, you know, view as an extension of the legacy of Fred Rogers, uh, taking um, you know, what Fred has, the, the philosophy that Fred has left behind for us and thinking about how we can extend that into helping professions now. You know, we spoke with uh, June Lay uh, back in June, and it's been a while. So if you don't mind, just remind our listeners about simple interactions and, you know, what does that mean so everybody can have that same context? Absolutely. So simple interactions at its core is an approach to affirming and promoting developmental relationships as the foundation of all learning and growing. And um, you know, while 
our work began looking very deeply at adult-child relationships across developmental settings. That work has also evolved to consider all of the human interactions and developmental relationships that go into these developmental settings. So, um, you know, what do the relationships and interactions look like among adults and children, adults and youth, but also the adults? Uh, how are their interactions and relationships, which are also developmental in nature, contributing to the, the entire setting and system of, of developmental settings across early childhood and K-12 to and residential care and children's hospitals, et cetera? Have you seen uh, shifts just over time in looking at um, like the frequency of certain kinds of simple interactions? So, so in my notes from before, I have connections, reciprocity, you know, like inclusion and belonging and opportunity to grow and thinking about, you know, those interactions that take place either between kids and adults or even just between adults. Have you seen some shifts that have taken place over the last, I don't know, maybe six months, year, or, or otherwise? So the current times have definitely um, shifted our understanding a bit uh, when it comes to interactions. It's a little difficult when your work is predicated on people being together, uh, and all of a sudden we can't be together. So uh, you know, physical distancing has definitely disrupted a little bit of how we uh, do the work that we do. However, uh, you know, I think I've been most comforted um, by a line from Fred Rogers that uh, I hadn't given a great deal of thought and how it applied to current situations until very recently. And um, so what it is when he was asked about how the outsides of childhood are ever changing, um, he said, yes, the outsides of childhood continue to change, but the insides of what children need, those remain the same. And I think even though we're seeing interactions that look different on the outside. So interactions through screens, interactions through uh, letters, through phone calls, and in ways that we can't physically be together, those interactions are still um, servicing those inner, inner needs of children that remain the same. So while connection may look a little different on a screen, the core of why we connect and the core of the intentionality that it takes to truly connect with another human being uh, it remains the same. And so when we think and we talk with teachers and early care providers and helpers of, of any walk right now, um, helping them to see that the knowledge and expertise that they have in providing what children need, that knowledge and expertise remains. Mm. The outsides of how we put it into action, maybe that needs to be uh, you know, changed a bit or translated to a different medium. But that they have exactly what it needs, exactly what children need. Right? They, they have inside of them as adult helpers, the expertise and knowledge and ability to be what children need, even in the most imperfect of times. So, so while the outside, yeah, so the, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, it's so very true. We've seen, um, you know, just a, a side story. So much of our work is video-based. And so we would record interactions of adults and children working together or adults working together. And so we have begun to receive uh, Zoom recorded calls of tele-intervention and tele-home visits. And it's amazing to see what helpers are able to do 
even through a screen that is just brilliant and exactly the level of relationship that families need to continue to do and to serve their own children too. So it's been, it's been something that I think we all were terribly nervous about, but we've seen the resilience of our helpers, even right alongside the resilience of our children. Yeah. So what does this mean for schools? Because Dr. Lee mentioned when we talked to him that you were really more of, well, more focused than maybe he was on K-12 education. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, because that's our background, what should schools be doing to get closer to this vision of developmental relationships that Fred Rogers had and now your work has? So uh, my my biggest thing in schools, and I would say even more so now, is that when I have been speaking with educators that we've worked with throughout the years, or, you know, I've got two young children when I speak with their teachers, the number one thing I'm hearing from educators during these very difficult times is that they feel so isolated, mm. that there's been a breakdown in the communities of support around them. And it. it truly has been. They've lost the you know, spontaneous interaction in the hallway with other teachers where they could check their practice and think about something. Uh, you know, our early childhood educators have lost their teacher's aides because of reductions in class ratios. And so they've lost the chance to just bounce something off of another adult to think of how they're, they're approaching uh, the work. And I think the number one thing that we can do for our helpers is to reestablish support for them and reestablish trust. And I think that's something that across the, I would say the last decade or maybe even longer that has been eroding is the trust and respect that we have for our teachers, that they know what practice, what is good practice and what is proper practice and what supports children. And instead we've imposed upon them what the external world thinks is right. And we've taken away from them their ability to uh, learn from practice and learn from one another. And we've restricted that support. And I think it's something that we need more than ever right now is that we need to do for our helpers what our best helpers are doing for children, which is wrapping them in an environment of relationships and trust and support and care. Uh, And it's something that I think our helpers need more than ever right now. I've been spending some time thinking about just that connection, and this is all even before COVID became, right, this huge mm-hmm. isolator. But in looking at the pressure of some of the assessments, and, and don't get me wrong, I believe we need to measure student growth because without it, we really didn't know where kids were at and who was learning and who was not. And I think we need that element to continually improve our work. But I have been struck in the last year or so with how sometimes we have tipped too far in that we spend time, you know, trying so urgently to get to the next standard that we have lost that community sense, that we have lost Mm -hmm. that, you know, connection that we used to have more easily with kids. And, and then I think we've almost had to like force it back in and school that I was in, we spent time doing what we call the two by 10, that we would ask a teacher for 10 days to spend two minutes talking with a kid, not about academics, just talking with the kid about their life, right? Mm -hmm. And it strikes me 
uh, is just so interesting that we, you know, had allowed ourselves to sort of move so far to one side that, that now we have to, you know, we actually have to schedule our talking. Do you know what I mean? So tell me if you've seen some of that or just feedback from, from your work in the field. Sure. Uh, and, and Tracy, you are, you are very right. And, you know, we would never advocate that we don't need measurements either. Um, you know, measurements give us so much information that is so valuable and so necessary. But uh, I think you are 100% correct when we think about measurements, that it has to have a balance to it, that no one measurement, no one system um, should take over and guide the needs of everything that we do. And I think I, I share in your concern when relationship building becomes another item on a checklist, mm. because it just can't be. It, we cannot look at building relationships with our students as just another thing we have to do. It is the most important thing that we do, and it is the foundation for everything else. If those relationships are not present, it's going to show up in the measurements, that's for sure. Even if the measurements aren't measuring relationships, right. it's going to show up in student learning. It's going to show up in uh, how we're meeting our standards. But we cannot relegate relationships to just another thing. Uh, it has to be the foundation. And that's where we find then the balance of bringing in measurement to that and bringing in assessment to that is that if we are relying on what we know is the most important thing we can do for children, which is to wrap them in an environment of relationships, to help them to feel safe and secure and trusting, to be able to get to that level where they can meet standards and have their learning to be measured, um, that that has to come first, not in replacement of everything else, but as the foundation where everything else then can be built. Mm. Yeah. And just to follow up, as I hear you, you know, talk about it, I'm remembering a few examples of some teachers who were like, oh, just one more thing. But what was interesting was in every case, it was so transformational about that relationship that that teacher had with that kid. And I think that the teacher just didn't realize that they hadn't been really hearing do you know what I mean? Mm. Without yes. like an objective to get something done, you know, either I've got to get you to follow directions or you got to do this work or, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. the power of that. So I'm kind of grateful for it, even though it was a checklist because it did shift the work that was taking place. The work meaning like the community building work that mm-hmm. was taking mm-hmm. place and teachers, teachers took note because, uh, uh, a shift took place and and lasted, you know, throughout that year because of that framework, that that base you talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right that it it doesn't mean that we don't bring intention to the relationships. Bringing a focus to that as something that is important enough to spend time focusing on and building time for. Yeah. Um, it, I think it's more the mindset around why we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That it's not, it's not, you know, that we're asking you to think about your interactions because we must meet this marker. We're asking you to think about it because when you think about your interactions, when you slow down and you reflect on what your relationships look like within the classroom, it actually improves your teaching. It improves the culture of your classroom. 
that it's that important to spend some intentional time thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And um, I really appreciate that because I don't think anybody would ever say, any teacher would ever say, you know, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I talk to kids all the time, but really when you look at the kinds of conversations that are taking place, there, there is this burden teachers are carrying with them of, I got to get things done you know, Mm -hmm. and that, and that urgency just is almost like a shield that kind of separates them from more authentic connection. Uh, anyways, it's just some of my own musings, but I I know Mm -hmm. it's work we have to do. Yeah. And that's where I think, uh, we've got to engage our systems within that work too. Um, to, you know, we, I'm, my, my guess is that Jim Lay spoke about this also, is that we have uh, an essential question that we use to think about um, our, our decisions and what we do across practice level, program level. We've had this conversation with policymakers, with foundations, but it's for them to think about what is it that they're doing that encourages, enriches, and empowers human interactions and relationships within their spaces. Because the counter to that is that we can also ask, what are decisions that you're making that are actually discouraging or disempowering the creation of these relationships and the building and sustaining of these relationships? Because if we're making decisions at a system level that disempower our teachers from making relationships with their children, then we're doing a disservice to the entire system. I'm taking all the question time from Jim, but but I got another one. So I've been working with some administrators, and one administrator came to me to say, during this time when we're problem solving, you know, practice, and mm-hmm. she says that she's been getting feedback from her teachers about how she, they see this principle really connecting with community, but not connecting with them. And so she is in this place where she's having to consciously kind of do almost like a two by 10 with her teachers and, Mm -hmm. and go out of her way because she herself recognizes she does not stop and pause long enough to find out from teachers who they are and what's important to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I, I, again, I'm just putting it out there because we, how did it happen? You know, how did we get here? Right. And, you know, I think, I think there's blind spots in everybody's practice. And I think to be able to bring intention and self-reflection, and I think you said it earlier, to slow down. Um, you know, these are our simple functions of education that I think we've lost track of, that we haven't even been able to assign any type of form to them because we just, we're, we're thinking about what comes next. Yeah. Instead of of remaining in the moment with all of that. Um, And, you know, right now with all of the uncertainty, my my heart aches for our teachers and our helpers right now, trying to absolutely do the best that they can with what they've been given and what they've been given is really tough. Yeah. And I think anything that we can do to bring intention to that support um, at all levels, we all have so many touch points within the community, with children, with teachers, with leaders. How can we make sure every one of those touch points have intentional connection, have intentional time to to bring that support, to bring that strength building, 
um, to, you know, to slow down and to, to truly hear and listen to the experience and what can be done to support as we, we all continue along these uncertain times. Yeah. I, um, I, I was really inspired by the work that you've been doing and, um, I, uh, one of the things that has been really impactful for me has been just shifting from uh, being what uh, Dr. Lee called uh, a helpful critic to a helpful appreciator. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, you know, I think oftentimes in education, we're always sort of looking at, even with kids, you know, like, what do they lack? And Mm -hmm. teachers, you know, what are they, what are they doing wrong? And we need to build on that and get better. And, um, kind of shifting that to, you know, what are people, even parents, you know, I think sometimes in education we look at what are parents doing wrong and and can be quite judgmental. And I love your work because it's really helped me to sort of think about, okay, so let me look for what's going right that we can then build on and continue to grow. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how does that how can that change our practice in schools, you know, really shifting from being that helpful critic to being a helpful appreciator? Yes. Yes. Um, Oh, the idea of helpful appreciation. um, To me, that's aspirational too. I don't think any of us can automatically say now we are helpful appreciators, that it's something we have to work for every single moment. Uh, But I think the biggest, the biggest thing that we can do to remove the deficit perspective. It starts with trust. It starts with trusting ourselves as educators or as parents or as children. It starts with trusting those who are around us that we all want the best for children. That Mm -hmm. when we come face to face with a family, we come face to face with an educator, trusting and working from the assumption that each one of us truly wants the best for children, that we are doing the best we can with what we have been given. Mm-hmm. And that how can we work together to fill the gaps then? Mm-hmm. And that it, that happens in true partnership, that happens in true relationship. And that has to come from a foundation of trust and respect for one another, that there is no enemy in this system. That, you know, we hear this often, too, especially in conversations around family engagement, like you mentioned, Jim, that um, there's suspicion, there's distrust, and that breeds the deficit perspective. That's, you know, that's the, the perfect recipe for deficit. And it's hard to break that down. It really is. But to be able to look at our, our children for who they are right now what they're bringing to us to appreciate all that's in there. We have to appreciate everything around it too, because yeah. we can't, we can't just focus in on the children and, and forget that they go home, forget that they come into contact with a bus driver. They come into contact with a crossing guard, the cafeteria worker at every one of those touch points that seem trust and respect and will to build relationships must be present. Yeah. I wonder why, um, you know, I mean, this work, I, I wish it were more prevalent in our schools, were more mm-hmm. integral to the work that we were doing. And um, when I 
uh, came upon it. I can't even remember now how I came upon it, but um, I was so inspired, and I just think that it holds so much potential for really shifting the way that we approach our work. And I just wonder, why isn't this more out there? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I think um, we have the same question. <laughs> we would love to see it more out there. Um, but I think it does go back to Tracy's point about not necessarily measures, but about the stakes that we tie to measures. Mm. So if we are evaluating our teachers and we are evaluating our education systems based on strict measures um, and, and strict markers of success, then it has created a system that only works toward those markers of success. Mm. And especially if our jobs and our pay and our resources are all tied to those assessments and measures. So assessments and measures are fantastic. They give us so much information. They give us um, a, a sometimes a really broad picture of what we need and where we can go and what we need to do to move forward. However, when we tie such high stakes to them, they take on very different meaning. Right. And I think that that has, um, that has been pervasive throughout the system of K-12 in just about every corner, that it's really hard to focus on things that aren't measured when such high stakes are tied to the measurements. I think that uh, I, I have the joy of working with a number of turnaround schools or schools that are in transformation and, and uh, you know, school improvement schools. And there is, of course, across the nation still this, this push to make sure that uh, we have this academic progress and this growth. And again, I, I really believe that that work is essential, that if we find ourselves in a place where our kids are not being, you know, successful enough that they can be successful at the next level, whether it be junior high or high school or college or work or whatever, that, that we can't ignore that. And I'm, I'm wondering how we can strike that balance because I've also been in situations as a leader where I've gone to a school and there's been way too much by my standards, way too much. Let's, let's have some Friday fun, you know, which can be great because kids love it. And we're going to just hang around, do a free choice, you know, but meanwhile, kids haven't been reading on grade level for seven years. You know what I mean? And, and I guess I'm, I'm just recognizing the rub that I have within me that I kind of go back and forth because I, I want that community and that celebration of progress and that meaningful dialogue. And, and yet I also, I'm trying to find out for myself, where is that tipping point to, oh no, but I don't, I didn't like it then, right? When it was, Let's just hang out and have our community circle until 11 in the morning, which yeah. wasn't working for me, you know, as a leader yeah. in the building. Right. I think that rub you have is a good thing. Um, it, as uncomfortable as it may feel to not have the answers of where the balance happens to be or should be, um, I think the fact that you grapple with that is a really good thing. Because um, I, I truly believe that any shift in either one of those directions is the wrong way. And I come from a place of relationship building to the end 
But if we're only focusing on community and we're only focusing on um, the the skills that are non-academic, we're doing our children a disservice. But if we're also only focusing on those, the learning skills and the academic progress, then we're doing our children a disservice. That we have to be able to find a balance. Well, and there can be um, so much of that that relationship building. I mean, as evident in the work with between helpers and young children, even in you know orphanages that that uh, Dr. Lee referenced in his uh, last inter- in the la- in the interview interview he did. Um, mm-hmm. You know. It, there can be so much uh, relationship building and, you know, powerful relational moments uh, within those moments of work. Yeah, throughout, yeah. throughout. Yes, yes. And that's, and I think that's where, you know, it's, it's almost simplistic of us to think of it as this either or and we yeah. can't have both. Yeah. We absolutely can have both. Um, and that is something that, you know, we can empower our teachers to be able to see what that balance looks like within their own classrooms and support them to make those decisions, but then also support at the program level that we're making decisions around resources and teacher needs that support them and, and trust them to make those decisions. And then we can, we can take that all the way up to the policy levels where, you know, we are, are making decisions that truly in practice are supporting the relationship building while also driving learning at the same time. Because we learn and grow best through these relationships, not alongside them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it's just so integrated at every level that we, we, we do need to look at from that very youngest, right, individual all the way up through all the stakeholders to that state and federal level where we recognize we are all in this together. How do we grow? How do we connect? How do we come together to, to help support, you know, the work and the learning and the community and the connection. Uh, it's, to me, it's just fascinating when I step back and even look at gestures and eye contact and, and physical proximity, uh, sometimes so simple, but matter, um, you know, in, in every level. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And it's something that it matters at every level. It, it truly does, Tracy. It's not just, it's so important at that adult child level, but children are catching a, a lot from the relationships that they see among the adults in these settings as well. Mm. That they are being taught how to build relationships, but they're also catching mm-hmm. what they see mm-hmm. and what they see modeled for them. And so the parallel process of this just, it cannot be ignored that if we want high quality relationships among our adults and children, we must give our helpers those same relationships. We must be intentional about high quality interactions and relationships that exhibit that connection and and reciprocity and opportunities to grow and inclusion to help them to grow as helpers, to help them to feel supported as helpers and also to show children what this looks like in action across all of those touch points. Yeah. Well, we have one last question that we ask of all of our guests, Dr. Winters. And um, it's, you know, if you could go back in a time machine and talk to a younger self um, and give your younger self even some advice, what would that be? 
Wow, what a fantastic question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's it's funny. I, I, I came to this work you know, slightly after Jin Lei had started it and has been um, one of the places that I think has found the most congruence in my life is to um, work around the idea of relationships and interactions and supporting children to have these interactions and relationships as well. And as a, as a child, I was very, very, very shy um, and would not accept the help from others to be able to make these relationships and interactions when I was younger. And I think if I were to go back to my kindergarten classroom and look at kindergarten Dana, um, I'd like to give her a little more help to be uh, a part of that inclusion of the classroom, to be able to, to find the support necessary to help her to build those relationships with her peers and her teacher and, and everyone in that space. And I think to tell her that um, you know, that's, that truly is the foundation of everything to come. And I think anything we can do to make sure that every child has that opportunity, uh, we're doing the right thing. I love that. I love that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And we so appreciate your time. We know that you're busy. Uh, We know that there are many things you could choose to do. (laughs) And uh, choosing to spend time with us has been a great gift. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for taking time. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. And um, as an aside, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out here, but my phone was just uh, blowing up with text messages. It seems we finally have a decision to the week-long election. Yes, okay, yes. well, let's go and check it out then. Nice. <laughs> so, thank yeah. you. So, <laughs> make sure you check that out as soon as we're done here. Okay. I have uh, a number of text messages. <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right. Connect away. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye.